this morning. Nehemiah chapter number 3, and I'd like to read just three verses to you. We're going to read the first verse and then the last two verses of this chapter. Nehemiah chapter number 3, and I want to preach to you on a... uh, on an architectural structure, if that's all right, what it means to us and how it points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nehemiah chapter number 3, verse number 1, the Word of God says this, Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia, they sanctified it, unto the tower of Hananiel. Now look with me at the end of our chapter Verse number 31, the Bible says, After him repaired Malchiah, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethanims, and of the merchants over against the gate, Mithcab, and to the going up of the corner. And between the going up of the corner unto the sheep gate repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, Lord. I thank you for this uh, sweet brother, his family, the work that you're doing in their lives, and through them pray that, uh, Father, you would meet every need that they have, keep them safe, prosper them on the field, give them fruits for their labors. And, Lord, I pray that this morning we know there is a work to be done in our midst. We pray that the Spirit of God would have free liberty, free reign, to walk these pews, to stir hearts, to do in us that which would bring you eternal glory. Lord, if there's one that's lost amongst us today, I pray that this would be the last day they'd live as a, as a lost sinner without Christ. I pray that today they'd put their faith in you, receive Christ as their Savior, and be eternally saved. Uh, Lord, we'll be sure to thank you for everything that you do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the book of Nehemiah is a book of building. It begins with Nehemiah developing a burden to go back home to the city of Jerusalem and repair the wall that surrounded that ancient city. It had been laid in waste ever since Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in 586 had destroyed it and, uh, and raised the city to the ground. And for 70 years it had laid waste until Ezra decides, well, Cyrus decides and sends back Ezra the priest along with about 43,000 Jews uh, repatriates to go back and rebuild the temple. Well, they lay the foundation, but they find there's a problem. Uh, they find that they can't get much work done without a wall built. And the enemies begin to afflict them and begin to oppose them. And so they lay the foundation of the temple, and then the work just simply lays dormant. Well, news gets back to Nehemiah, who is the king's cupbearer. He's back in the land, Shushan, in the palace. He is a personal confidant and the butler of the king. And uh, word gets to him that, the, uh, that his homeland, that Israel, and that the city of Jerusalem is in great affliction and is in great oppression because the wall has not been repaired. So Nehemiah develops a burden to go back and to rebuild the wall. And he journeys back with a group of men and the blessing of the king. And he arrives there, he surveys in chapter 2 the wall, and sure enough, it's in uh, terrible shape. And uh, in verse number, or in chapter number 3, they begin the work of rebuilding the wall. Now, the wall of ancient Jerusalem had 12 gates. I won't go through them right now for time's sake. But they all had very distinct names, and they all had very distinct uh, representation and purposes. They all had great significance, both in their function and in the mind of the children of Israel. Of all these gates, there seems to be one gate that looms higher than the rest of them in prominence, throughout the nation of Israel's history. And that is the first gate 
that Nehemiah starts with. In verse number 1, the Bible says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. Now, I want to take a few moments this morning and show you what the sheep gate, in my heart and mind, and I believe on the authority of Scripture, represents. You know, the Old Testament, all things uh, pointed towards the work of Christ. Uh, the Bible teaches us, Christ made the statement, He said, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. All throughout the Old Testament we see types and pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life, His ministry, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. We see uh, very distinct and very particular types that will deal with just a portion of His life. And then we see broad dispensational types like the life of Joseph that seems to show the full spectrum of what the Lord Jesus would do. And as we study through the Old Testament, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Harold Sotler used to say this, look for Jesus on every page. If you don't find Him on one page, turn to the next page, you'll probably find Him twice. Amen? And I found that to be the case. As you study the Bible, you find things that picture the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus and the idea of sheep and shepherds is not an unfamiliar one. In fact, let me just make three statements by way of introduction, two of which I think you'll be quite familiar with. Let me say that in the Bible, Jesus is presented as the shepherd. In fact, there are three types of shepherds He's presented as. Uh, He's presented in John chapter number 10 as the good shepherd that giveth His life for the sheep. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth His life for the sheep. In Psalms uh, chapter number 25, he is presented as the great shepherd, the victorious shepherd that rose from the grave and is mighty and powerful to save any and all that come unto him. That's the shepherd that will go out into the wilderness after that one that has strayed to bring him back home unto the flock. And then Peter called him the chief shepherd, said that that chief shepherd is coming back one day. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus is returning one day? So Jesus is the shepherd. But then as we study our Bible, I think we can also say that Jesus is in many ways the sheep. Now you say, well, preacher, what do you mean? Uh, I don't recall the Bible calling Him the sheep. No, but you'll remember that the next day John seeth Jesus coming and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in fact, if we read in Isaiah 53, we find an interesting description of the Lord's sacrificial ministry. Listen to what it says in verses 6 and 7. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. So in many ways, while the Lord Jesus is certainly the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, In other ways, we find Him to be the substitutionary, sacrificial sheep. The Lamb of God that has died in our place like the ram that took the place of Isaac on Mount Moriah. He is the sheep that has borne our iniquity, our sin, and has made a way for you and I to approach unto God. But then as I read Nehemiah chapter 3, I can't help but notice that in many ways, Jesus is not only the shepherd, and not only is He the sheep, But Jesus is even the sheep gate. You know, Christ made this statement in John chapter number 10, verse number 7, then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. 
Now, I'm aware that he was talking about the fold and the flock, and he was talking about Israel and Gentiles. But certainly it would not be lost upon his hearers that day, as they were just maybe a few footsteps away from the sheep gate, that the Lord was drawing an analogy between this ancient gate, this entrance for sheep to make their way in, and Himself. And I think as we study this morning, we'll find that the sheep gate is a picture both of Christ and of His work on the cross of Calvary. Let me show you what I mean. I want to give you five simple thoughts this morning, and then we'll close. You might say, preacher, there ain't no such thing as five simple thoughts from you, but we're going to do our best. Let me say, number one, a word about the function of the sheep gate. You know, any time you study the Word of God, you've got to figure out what's being said, who's saying it, who it's being said to. You've got to understand the context for it to have any meaning. All of the gates that were in the uh, wall of Jerusalem, they had names that bore out the functionality of them. For instance, the Bible uh, describes a gate called the dung gate, and that's where the trash would be taken out of the city and would be uh, piled in the valley of Hinnom and set on fire. Well, the sheep gate was thus named because this was the gate that shepherds would bring their sheep in through to the city of Jerusalem that they might be sold for temple sacrifice. In other words, this was the direct conduit for the sacrificial animals to make their way into the temple. This is the reason, by the way, that Nehemiah repaired it first was because the work couldn't go on unless they could give sacrifices, unless they could worship God. Can I just pause and say this? The work can't go on if worship don't go on. Sometimes I think there is a tendency to get so focused on the work that we neglect the worship. Now you're going to say, oh, but preacher, I've known some folks. Yeah, me too. I've known churches that don't want to do nothing but shout it out and sit it out. I understand what you mean. But these things go hand in hand. We're to work in His field. We're to worship at His feet. And before the work could commence in the right way, worship had to commence in the right way. Before we can ever be effective for the Lord, we've got to sit at His feet. We've got to learn from Him. We've got to put His yoke upon us and learn of Him. So they repaired this gate first. And I'll say something else about that in a moment. But the purpose of it was that the sheep were brought in. It's also interesting to note, if you study this matter out, that this gate faced the Garden of Gethsemane. It also faced Jericho, the Mount of Olives, and Bethany. Very likely, as the Lord traveled often between Bethany and Jerusalem, this was probably the gate that He used the most. And undoubtedly, it was the gate on the night that the Lord was arrested that He would have went out of to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, this gate would have also been what David would have went out when he was sent into exile from Absalom. It was part of what we call the King's Highway. So the Lord Jesus went in and out of this gate all the time. And on the night that He was arrested, He went out of this gate to the Garden of Gethsemane. It also probably gives a lot more meaning to what Isaiah says when he says He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Because if He was arrested in the garden, it is most likely to think that He was probably led back into the city through that very gate. Its purpose was to get the sheep in. (laughs) And I like that. (laughs) Its purpose was to get the sheep in. I'll say another word about it in a moment. I want you to notice not only its purpose, but think with me for a moment about its proximity. Because it was used to funnel the sheep in, to be sold in the temple for sacrifice, it was also the nearest to the temple. And the only way for the sheep 
to get in. Now let me make a little application here. If the cross of Calvary is a picture of the, or the sheep gate is a picture of the cross of Calvary, can I just point this out to you? That true knowledge of God, a relationship with Him, and right worship for Him, it begins with a personal relationship with the cross of Calvary. That is the only way to get in. The temple was seen as the seat of God's presence, as the place of God's worship. There's a lot of folks today who want to come in by another gate, but they're thieves. They're robbers. Unless we go in through the right gate, we won't get in at all. We've got to go in through the cross of Calvary if we want to know God in a personal way. Now listen, I, I, and I don't mean this in an ugly way, but I could care less about your religious scruples or preferences. The Bible's clear on this matter. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then lest you should misunderstand that, he says this, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The sheep gate was the only way for the sheep to get in. And there's a lot, man, there's a lot of application I'd love to make here about the sheep once they get in. They were brought in. They were washed in order to be sacrificed. What a picture what the Lord Jesus does in our life. He gets us in and He washes us. He cleanses us that we might be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. But at the end of the day, I want you to notice the function of it was to get the sheep in. And the Lord Jesus, His preeminent purpose in ministry was not to open blinded eyes, not to give strength to lame legs, not to uh, open the tongue of those that were dumb or the ears of those that were deaf. Those were all wonderful things that the Lord Jesus did. But He came that He might be made a sacrifice for man's sins, that He might die in our place. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to notice not only the function of the sheep gate, but think with me for a moment about the focus on the sheep gate. Before any other gate was built, this gate was built. It was the first gate that Nehemiah built. You know, the cross of Calvary is the preeminent work of God in the life of humanity. God has done a lot of things throughout human history for humanity, but none is greater and none is more important and none is preeminent above the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians chapter number 1, verse 16. Paul says, For by Him, speaking of Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, invisible or visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is, listen now, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. In God's economy, Christ is first. Before any and everything else, that He might have the preeminence. But can I say this? The first thing a sheep had to do if it wanted to get in was go in. And uh, this, uh, this gate was built first because they had to get the sheep in for the sacrifice. Listen, before you can ever do anything with God or for God, you've got to go in by way of the sheep gate. It is the first fundamental, primary, preeminent step to a relationship with God. You can tithe, you can get baptized, you can go to church, you can pass out tracts, you can do all of that, and it don't mean a thing if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. 
You can have all the religion in the world. You can be a good uh, husband. You can be a good wife. You can be a good kid. You can be a good parent. You can be a good student. You can be a good worker. And none of that means anything in the economy of God until you have first been born again. It's the first gate. Then, this is the reason we read the last two verses of chapter number 3, because I want you to notice where they ended up. Verse 32 says, Between the going up of the corner of the sheep gate, repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. Now listen, when I was growing up, we had several different math classes in the little Christian school I went to. And I found this to be the case. You was always either real good at algebra and real bad at geometry, or real good at geometry and real bad at algebra. And if you was good at both, we didn't like you. Somebody say amen to that. And I was one of those that was real bad at algebra. Hey, listen, letters don't belong in math. Somebody say amen to that. If you don't know what that number is, go find out what it is, you lazy fool. Don't put a letter in its place. Then you can do proper math. I was always a geometry fan. Can we give a little geometry lesson? Most walls tend to be, at least in some degree, circular. Am I right? So if they began with the sheep gate, and if they was going to fix the whole wall, they had to end with the sheep gate. Because it was the first gate, it was also the final gate. You know what this whole thing's winding down to? The Bible says that Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the book of Ephesians says this about God's will. Verse number 9 of chapter 1, "...having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him." You know, in God's redemptive plan for humanity... His plan began with Christ, and it ends with Christ. All things be delivered up to the Son, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, and then the Son will deliver them up to the Father, that the Son be in the Father, and the Father in the Son, and us in the Son, and all of us as one. It's all about Jesus Christ. You don't never mature past the cross of Calvary. Now listen, I know we need to go on unto perfection, not lay again that foundation. And I understand we are to preach the whole counsel of God. But the moment we think we've gotten too mature and too big and too grown up and and too spiritual for an effectual, dependent, daily leaning upon Jesus Christ is the day that we've bought the devil's lie and sealed our spiritual faith. Hey, it begins with Christ. It ends with Christ. And there ain't no, let me say this, there ain't no getting around Him neither. Because the wall was finished, there wasn't no getting around the wall. You was going to have to go in. If you was a sheep, you was going to have to get in at the sheep gate. Sooner or later, you're going to have to face this thing of where you stand with God. You might put it off for a while. You might put it off for your whole life. But sooner or later, the Hebrews writer said, it's Him with whom we have to do. Sooner or later, you're going to have to face this thing about your eternal destiny. Run from it if you wish. But one day you'll run out of road and time. And you'll have to face it in a bad condition. I'd rather face it now through the cross of Calvary, believing upon Him. We understand now why Christ said in Revelation 22, 13, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. If you don't know Christ, you don't know nothing. 
I don't mean that in an ugly spirit. You might be well-educated. You might be sharp. You might be brilliant. You might be talented. You might be charismatic. But I'm saying if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you have missed the fundamental issue of life. And you've missed out on what matters above all, what matters the most. I want you to notice not only the function of the sheep gate and the focus on it, but turn over to John chapter number 5. We find the sheep gate appearing again in the New Testament. It is the site in John chapter number 5 of one of our Lord's miracles. And we're going to read just these first nine verses. There's much more we could read through that chapter that bears upon these truths. But for time's sake, we'll read just the first nine verses. And hear what the Bible says transpired at the sheep gate. The Bible says in verse 1, After this there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now let me let my education show. You ready? I'm not a real bright person. But I'm betting if you was going to have a sheep market, you'd probably put her beside the sheep gate. Amen? If the sheep are being brought in for the purpose of being sold for temple sacrifice, you'd put the sheep market right beside the sheep gate. And historical evidence bears this out, that the sheep market was by the sheep gate. So these people were gathered at this pool right by the sheep gate. The Bible says in verse 3, "...in these lay a multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered." waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir... I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. I like this. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately, I like that word immediately. I believe we have an immediately salvation, don't you? Uh, immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Notice with me the feebleness at the sheep gate. The sheep gate was not typically a desirable gate to hang out at. In fact, being at the sheep gate would have been an offense to all the natural senses of mankind. You would have, by virtue of all the sheep being there, be beholding these dirty, filthy... Anybody ever been around sheep? Hey, listen, they don't look like those precious moments figurines that you got sitting on your mantle. They're nasty. They're filthy. They have fleas. They have mites. They have all kinds of disease. and They're a filthy, filthy animal. You would have been around that. The smell would have offended you. The sight of them would have offended you. The constant bleeding would have uh, berated upon your ears. It was an unpleasant scene to be at. And you know who was gathered around there? You know the only folks that would keep company around the sheep gate? Was sick, broken people. There in that pool, the Bible says all that were blind, halt, and withered were there. Everybody that had problems. I wrote it down this way. The Bible says there was a multitude of impotent folk. They were there without help. They could not help themselves. And evidently from what this man says, there was nobody there willing to help them. No respectable person would have been hanging out around the uh, pool uh, there by the sheep gate. It was people without help. It was also people without help. They were not sound in and of themselves. They were blind. They could not see. They were halt. They could not walk. They were withered. They could not work. There they were, gathered all of their brokenness on display. 
What were they doing there? The Bible says that an angel came down. You say, you believe that preacher? Yes, I do, because I believe my King James Bible. An angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And there they sat day after day. This man sat there for 38 years and waited and waited and waited. Don't you know his hope was wearing thin? So here's a group of people that are without help, without help, without hope. If somebody don't come in and help them, ain't nothing going to change. They're going to die beside that pool. Let me say to you that the sheep gate was a place and the broken were waiting there. And I'm still glad to report to you today that the cross of Calvary is a place where broken people are. Hey, listen, you know something you'll find out? If you ain't never been in church, if you ain't never been raised around church, uh, if the only time you've ever been in church is just you know Christmas and Easter and a funeral here or there, you'll get the idea that church folks is respectable. But if you spend a little time around church folks, you know what you'll find? You'll find over in that corner, there's somebody that used to be an addict. Over in that corner, somebody that used to be a drunk. Over in that corner, somebody that used to be a womanizer or unfaithful to their spouse. Over in that corner was somebody that was hooked on greed and filthy lucre. We're just a bunch of broken people hanging out around the cross that Jesus died for. The broken are waiting there, but then I'd like you to notice the broken were welcome there. Didn't nobody go in and try to run them off. That was their territory. (laughs) Hey, listen, can I say this to you? If you're a sinner saved by grace, the cross is your territory. It's a place where the broken are welcome. There's some folks that think to themselves, well, God wouldn't want me because I'm not somebody special. I'm a broken individual. I have problems. I have baggage. I've made mistakes. I've made a mess of my life. Don't you realize you're the exact kind of person that they'd find around the sheep gate? That's who the sheep gate, that's who this pool existed for. You're there on purpose and by invitation of God. You're exactly where God wants you to be. One day the uh, Pharisees tried to put the Lord on the spot. Luke chapter number 5, the Bible says, verse 29, Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans. Levi was a a tax collector, by the way. You ain't going to find somebody more hated than that. Amen. A great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You're the one He's looking for this morning. Preacher, I'm too broken. God can't save me. You're the one He's looking for this morning. Hey, the broken are waiting there, but the broken are welcome there too. And the broken are welcome at the cross of Calvary. You're not, hey, you're not, you're not just permitted. Hey, you're invited to the cross of Calvary. You're not just welcome, you're wanted there. God wants to make a difference in your life. Christ said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. I see the feebleness at the sheep gate, but I can't help but notice in this passage that there's forgiveness at the sheep gate. I see first off that it is a place of the Savior's presence. Notice this beautiful picture. It's easy to read past it and miss it. The Bible says in verse number 6, when Jesus saw him lie. You know what that tells me? That tells me Jesus was on the scene. 
He was there in saving power and purpose. When nobody else would go down to the sheep gate, hey, this fellow couldn't even find someone with enough help to drag his broken body down into the pool when the water was stirred. Didn't nobody hang out around the sheep gate. The sheep gate was an offense to the religious crowd there in Jerusalem. Can I pause there and say this? That the cross of Calvary is still an offense to the religious crowd today. They still want to take the blood from our Bibles. They still want to take preaching from our pulpits. They still want to take praise from our mouths. The cross is still an offense to them that perish today. It ain't very popular with the world. And no respectable person would have been caught around the sheep gate. But I'm sure glad Jesus made a trip there. And here's a broken man that was sure glad that Jesus made a trip there. Uh, The cross is still... Listen, Jesus is not on the cross anymore. And I'm thankful for that. Hey, you can wear it around your necklace. You can put it up on your wall. Uh, You can put crucifixes and paint them here and there. But that ain't going to put my Lord back on the cross. Uh, He died once, was once made an offering for sin. And He sanctified them forever that believe upon Him. He ain't on the cross. He ain't going back on the cross. But God's still present in, in, a, in, a, in a sense at the cross to save those that come unto Him. You want to know where to find God? You find Him at the cross. You've never met Him before? Go to the cross. Recognize yourself a sinner. Admit yourself lost. Call upon the Lord Jesus. Look to the finished work of Christ on Calvary. And there you'll find God. It's a place of the Savior's presence, but I can't help but notice it's a place of the Savior's power. This man was sitting there, and Jesus asked him an interesting question. Wilt thou be made whole? Now, that would on the face of it seem like a foolish question. And yet the answer the man gives betrays the inside of the Lord Jesus. You might look at anybody that's lost and say, hey, do you want to be saved? But there's a difference between wanting something and being willing to something. Like, let me tell you something, I want six-pack abs. But just because I want... You know, people say where there's a will, there's a way. There ain't no will here, right? It, not, 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 to, not to be in fit anyways. He didn't say, do you want to be made whole? He said, are you willing to be made whole? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody wants to know God. Everybody wants to be saved. The question is, are you willing to? Will you quit leaning upon yourself and depending upon your own self-righteousness, your church baptism, your church membership, your charity work, your uh, common sense, your, uh, your, your good-heartedness, whatever it is that you think is going to get you in, are you willing to put that away and crucify that to the cross and admit yourself a sinner and see in Christ your only hope? I know you want, but are you willing? Are you willing? He says, wilt thou be made whole? And he begins to make excuses. Sir, I have no man when the water is stirred to put me in. And it, it ain't, you have to read through the Greek and the Hebrew to get this. You know what Jesus said? That ain't what I asked. He says, uh, he looks at him and he just he, he dismisses it. That wasn't the question that was asked. Not do you want, not do you have help, but are you willing? So Jesus gives him a nail to affix his faith to. And he says, rise, take up thy bed and walk. The next two words tell you how quick a man gets saved if he believes on Christ. And immediately. Immediately. It took me longer to say that than it took him to get saved. Immediately. Immediately. He, (laughs) the Bible says, the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. There's still power at the sheep gate today. 
There's still power in the cross of Calvary today. Uh, Listen, you may look at it and say it's old-fashioned. You may say it's the vestiges and rudiments and remnants of an archaic system. But I'm here to tell you today that in the life of a ten-year-old boy, I called upon the name of the Lord and I found that God was powerful enough to save me and to change my life and to keep me and to sanctify me and to secure me today. There's still power at the cross. There's still power at the cross. And the only thing that's in question is not whether He can save you, but whether you're willing to let Him. He's powerful. It's a place of the Savior's power. I see the forgiveness at the sheep gate. But can I close with a simple thought? Look back at Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter number 3. And I just want to read an ensemble of verses. I hope that'll be okay. You've stuck in this long. You might as well finish it out so you can get the T-shirt at the end. That was sarcasm. I don't want anybody coming up to me saying, Preacher, where's my T-shirt? I, don't, I ain't got one for you. Look at verse number 3. I want you to notice a common theme here. The Bible says, But the fish gate did the sons of Hassanah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Look down at verse number 6. The Bible says, Moreover, the, goal of the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshalem, the son of Besadiah, they laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Look down at verse 13. The valley gate repaired Hanun, and the inhabitants of Zenoah. They built it, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall under the dung gate. Verse 14. But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of a part of Bethesarim. He built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Verse 15 says, But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalun, the son of Colhose, the ruler of part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and the wall of the pool of Siloah by the king's garden and under the stairs that go down from the city of David. Did you notice a theme there? All these gates seem to have something in common. Every one of them has got doors, bars, beams, and locks. But you'll find no locks on the sheep gate. Let me just in closing say a word about the freedom of the sheep gate. They locked all the other ones, but that sheep gate, it never did get locked. It just stayed open all the time. You know why? Because number one, it was a gate for anyone. Anyone. The Lord Jesus traveled in and out of it. And I like this, man. There's a picture here. (laughs) It may have been designed for the sheep, but the goats could come in that way too. Hey, listen, don't you know that His name was called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Who are His people? That's the Jews. But don't you know that the Jews, when they rejected their Messiah, the Gospel went to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. I stand here today a product of the fact that though the gate was designed for the sheep, any old goat could walk into. Man, I'm glad it was a gate for anyone. There wasn't somebody standing there checking your election card before you got in. There wasn't somebody there asking if you had been predestined or not. It was just open. (laughs) Anyone could come in. And can I say to you today that the cross of Calvary is still for any and everyone that will come in. John uh, chapter number 6, the Lord Jesus made this statement in verse number 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Listen, you, you, you can try to commentate it away and concordance away and Hebrew it away and Greek it away, but all means all, or it doesn't mean anything at all. Whosoever means whosoever. 
And I'm glad that this whosoever got in, that gate was left unlocked for me. And it's left unlocked for you. I don't care what race you are, what political affiliation you are, what financial bracket you are. The gate is still open for any and all that will come in. And the only folks that don't get in are those that don't go in. It's a gate that's for anyone. But I I like this too. You know, usually when you have locks and bars on a, a gate, on a city gate, the purpose is not to leave them locked all the time. Usually when the sun arose, they would unlock it and allow people in. And then at night, as a safety precaution, they would close it and lock it. So if they didn't have no locks on this gate, it implied that not only was it a gate for anyone, but it was a gate for any time. Hey, listen now, I'm about to break with some folks over this. It was a gate for any time. Any time that someone was willing to go in, they'd find it open. Hey, listen now, I believe that anyone can get saved. But not only do I believe that anyone can get saved, I believe anyone can get saved any time that the Spirit of God is dealing with them and they're willing to get saved. Not do you want, are you willing? You say, well, preacher, uh, what about sending away your day of grace? What about the Spirit of God uh, being rejected? Hey, listen, I understand that uh, man can push God away and push Him away and push Him away, but you know what I found? That last time he pushes Him away, he won't never want to pull Him back to himself again. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Hey, everybody got quiet now. You with me? Hey, you've been good this whole time. Don't give out on me now. So what do you mean, preacher? I mean this. I mean the only reason a person ever wants trust Christ is because the Spirit of God has convicted them and showed them their need of salvation. And that tells me this, that every time a person wants to be saved, it's because the Spirit of God's dealing with them. It's because God has taken an interest in them. It's because that gate is still unlocked. And they can come in any time that they want to. I've heard preachers say, well, unless a person, and they've got their little conviction tests that they have where they'll say, well, if they're not crying, well, if they're not weeping, well, if they're not serious enough, well, if they've not this, well, if they've not that. You know what I find? The Lord Jesus says, Him that cometh in to me, I will in no wise cast. In no wise. You know what that means? In no way will I cast them out. There's never going to be a time that a sinner comes to Christ that he gets turned away by the Son of God. He'll in no wise be cast out. This gate's open today. The cross of Calvary is still saving today. And the question is not, can He save you? It's, are you willing to be saved? The question is not, do you want to go to heaven? The question is, are you willing to be saved? Will you confess yourself a sinner before God? Will you quit depending upon your own self-righteousness or whatever delusions have led you to believe that you're just okay as you are? Will you quit depending upon baptism or church membership or doing good? Will you turn to Christ and Him alone? place your faith in Him. If you're willing, that sheep gate, which is still unlocked today, and the only ones that don't go in, get in is the ones that don't go in, will you go in today? Will you come to the cross of Calvary and let God do for you what you cannot do for yourself?